Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of How's That the Cricket podcast with me, Josh and Lily. Hello. We are back and we have got another guest. It was super exciting to talk to Bavi Devchand, Western Australian cricketer, Victorian cricketer, podcaster. Um, (laughs) Turned podcaster, yes. Yeah, so Bavi, she played quite a lot for Western Australia, a lot of her childhood and adult years as well, and then Mm. moved over to Victoria and then just played Premier and Club Cricket and is now a podcaster. So, yeah, Barbie has her own podcast called The Inside Edge. She has guests on and they talk about professionalism and, and elite sport and, and mental health and all that kind of business. But if you want to go and listen to Barbie's podcast, feel free. But this interview was really interesting. It was a bit of a one of those reality check kind of ones where you mm. realise that you're not alone because her story is... I would say unique, but I I doubt it is because it's something you don't ever hear in the media in in sport. But I'm sure so many other people have gone through the exact same thing, but they just don't talk 100%. about it. Yeah, hundred percent. It's definitely something that other people have gone through, and it, it is very hard to talk about sometimes. So people don't really like to talk about it or can't talk about it. And mm-hmm. it was really good to hear that side of it. Because you, you never hear it in the media. Media never really report on it. Um, so, no, it was really awesome to see that side of what a player kind of thinks and goes through when they get delisted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll just jump straight into the interview. So we hope you enjoy our interview with Barbie Devchand. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. All right. Started. So can you talk us a little bit about how you just first started playing cricket and where that all began? Yeah, absolutely. So I was actually born in Zimbabwe, um, where cricket's reasonably big. It's probably one of the main sports, but cricket for girls wasn't really much of a thing. So I mucked around in the backyard with my brother and my dad and obviously from Indian origin, so cricket's in our blood. Um, but then in 2001, we moved over to Perth and um, just simply because the country was going downhill and I'd always love sports, all sorts of sports. And my dad actually took my brother down to Kingsley, um, Kingsley Woodvale Junior Cricket Club to sign him up. And um, they actually said to me, like, oh, do you have a daughter? You might as well go to our they, – they were really good. They said go to Whitford's, which is our rival club, and they actually have a girls' team, which was one of the f- – only girls teams in the whole northern suburbs of Perth at that point. Um, so we're pretty lucky that the club 10 minutes down the road actually had a girls team. So, um, yeah, Dad took me down, we, we signed up and it pretty much continued on from there. Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, would it have been like all a bit quick? You, you just were there and then you just ended up playing? Yeah, I think, as I said, like growing up, we had, we played a lot of cricket uh, in the backyard and bits and pieces and cricket wasn't the only sport I played. So I played hockey, I played soccer. Um, I pretty much loved anything that didn't involve me sitting and reading my books or studying. So, um, and I understood the game reasonably well, but still like I was 11 or 12. So there's only so much, you know, at that age, um, I was just happy to be out there playing and thought it was really cool that there were other girls. Cause all I'd known up until that point was playing with boys. Um, and watching boys and all you saw on TV was men's cricket. So I was like, how cool is this? There's like a whole group of girls that like the same thing that I do. And I think in the early days, that was probably more my motivation than the game itself. Um, I like I loved hockey just as much as I love cricket, for example. Uh, it wasn't so much the game, but obviously as you play it and you learn, turns out I'd had some skills. So whenever you're good at something, you end up enjoying it more, I suppose. Um, and from that developed a real strong passion for the game. We, we have seen some um, cricketers that who do field hockey as well. So it's definitely yeah. a trend, um, field hockey and cricket almost. I mean, I guess the skills are kind of similar with the, the stick. Like you have to really, I guess it's very similar. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. There's, there's loads of them. Meg Lanning, Sophie Devine, both very high-level hockey players. So Meg, Meg, I have no doubt, would have played for the Hockey Roos. Um, she's just oh. a freak. She's a freak of an athlete. Um, everything about her, the way she runs, her strength, her hand-eye coordination is ridiculous. And then we obviously know Sophie Devine played for New Zealand. Um, so there's quite a few that swap over. I found 
not much of a like I do have a pretty good sweep shot which is probably hockey related um certainly helped my fitness though so like that was the biggest thing was the, the fitness and the agility of hockey is second to none really yeah, yeah but there perfect. are quite a few people who play hockey on the side just for for fitness as well like there is um Gemma Barsby does it for fitness and right. um, so yeah there's a couple who just uh do that there but um who would you say were your idols growing up yeah, it's a good question. Um, so again, watching mainly men's cricket, I didn't know, I didn't even know WA had a women's team when I was growing, like a like a senior women's team. It, it just never occurred to me. So, um, my heroes all in the men's game. The main one is probably Michael Hussey because he played for Whitfords as well. He played for Bonnaroo, which was my local district club. Um, so his name was everywhere. He's actually put some money towards Bonnaroo, which is a club I'm pretty passionate about. And they had this academy called the Michael Hussey Cricket Academy, which was purely for girls. And myself, Heather Graham, are probably the two names that went on to play professional cricket from that and there weren't many of us so probably only two to three but uh that's where I learned everything I know from the basics of the game so Greg Williams was the coach and it was all funded by Michael Hussey so I didn't have to pay a cent for one-to-one coaching for five six years which is unbelievably lucky um so he was always a guy my first number playing for WA was 48 I uh, had the old uh, the beast bat at one stage, so he, he was he was always the guy that I really looked up looked up to, um, and it was really cool like to have him on my podcast and be able to actually talk to him and come full circle with all that. It was something that was like pretty cool. What are we fifteen years later even? It's so good to see the cricketers that make it and then give back to their communities, and it's so special. And that's fantastic to hear that you got your start uh, through cricket with something like that. That's great. Yeah, it really is. Uh, yeah, I, like you said, I always think it's it's so interesting that it was a male who was kind of in charge of this girls thing as well. Whereas now there's a couple of clinics which are run by here in Adelaide, you know, that Adelaide Strikers women come down and run girls clinics. So I think that's something that's also probably developed a lot over the years. Yeah, absolutely. And having girls, like I'm a big fan of the quote, you can't you can't be what you can't see and having like female cricketers now even in Victoria we have I think Box Hill have this um, Meg Lanning Cricket Academy so it's basically their feeder club and then I know down in Dandenong they have Sophie Molyneux so that attaching the names shows girls there's a pathway and there's a progression and these girls played for the exact same clubs that you did and like even now I'm coaching over in Melbourne and starting so only this season started to run some like say master classes on how to play spin or how to create pace on the ball which is something that males don't always have to do because there's usually more pace on the ball and just the little nuances of the game it's so important that you do have people with experience playing the female game in those coaching positions but at the same time I still think there's such a long way to go like in doing my so Victoria if you take somewhere like Victoria WA is pretty small probably similar to Adelaide but if you take somewhere like Victoria there are so many girls playing like it's ridiculous but there's very very few female coaches and I literally could not find one female coach doing regular one-to-ones or group coaching stuff so there's still a long, long way to go, but we're on the right track, I think. Yeah, hopefully that changes soon. And I really hope maybe uh, when they're finished playing, like Meg Lanning, Elise Perry, um, anyone who um, can really go back down and really coach and um, show their experience, that would be great. Yeah, I think that'll make a big difference. It'll start coming through now as yes. more girls are playing and then this current crop, which is the first generation of fully professional cricketers, retire. I think the female um, coaching market's going to get pretty competitive. Um, so it will get there eventually. Aside from more female coaches, what do you think is the next step to progress the women's cricket game? I think it's just getting more exposure, more games on TV, more, like, like quite honestly, who runs the cricket economy it's India so <laughs> India provide 80% of the revenue for Australian cricket like it's as simple as that so we need a women's IPL if women's IPL comes up or they start putting more resources into their own women's team it just lifts everything up because all of a sudden there's more games on TV so more people are watching all of a sudden there's more opportunities for coaches and remember it's a full ecosystem so you don't just have to be a player so people like yourselves if you want 
want to get into the media game, there's coaching, there's administration, there's physio, there's S&C, there's a whole ecosystem that can thrive. Um, but you do need, at the end of the day, you do need a little bit of a financial backing for that. So I think one part on the, in terms of the big picture is a woman's IPL has to start up within the next two to three years. And I think it will from what I've heard. Um, so we're looking, yeah, two to three years max, and that should happen. And at the same time, it's, it's the people in your own community. It's going out and like saying, oh, my brother, my, my brother plays, but hey, my sister plays as well, or bringing your friends down and actually showing that girls can play within your community is just as important. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the women's IPL talk has been such a big thing at the moment, hasn't it? Like they've been talking, especially when this World Cup's been on, It's it's been talking about how they just really need to get that going. And I did hear Jamima Rodriguez was saying something when she was over here about how close they are to getting one started. So I think that's, like you said, that is completely the next step. I completely agree there. Um, because it will bring a lot of the... I know a lot of the Indian fans do watch this WBBL and the Indian players who come over and play in the WBBL because they haven't got one themselves. So I think that is yeah. that is definitely a, the next step there. Um, so you said that you played, uh, well, lots of cricket for WA. So when you took that next step up and started playing state cricket, do you remember any memories that you had when you first joined that team and first played you a couple of games? Yeah, it's actually, it's a bit bizarre looking back, to be honest. Um, when, so I played all through the underage setup for WA and when it was under seven, they used to have under 17s and under 19s, but the year I finished under 17s, I actually shifted it to become under 18s. So I got an extra year underage, but in bizarre scenes, I actually got dropped from that squad in uh, like don't really can't remember why it was a while ago now so I didn't actually think I could play for WA and even then it wasn't fully professional I didn't really idolize the team growing up it was never like it is now where you're like wow how cool would it be to play for my state um so it wasn't really front of mind but I ended up someone got injured last minute and ended up getting picked back up in that under 18s tournament um, and I was a leading run scorer at the Nationals and I got picked up for WA the year after. So a little bit of luck in there, plus a little bit of skill and performance, I suppose. And uh, the experience is pretty cool. So we had probably two to three of us that were around the same age, 18-year-olds coming in. And then there were some really experienced players who had played for a very long time. And I'd mostly played second grade in for Whitfords because that we only had a second grade team and then but by the time I got to that point I had to move up to play first grade cricket but I didn't actually know a lot of the girls that well because I hadn't been regularly playing against them so it was a little bit scary at first and there were some old school personalities and that's just the way sport was back then so it's only 10 years ago but when you look at it now a lot of it was fear-based coaching and fear-based leadership so it was like really forcing you into things that um, were quite I don't think anyone ever had bad intent, but a lot of the time you were really scared of making mistakes. So if you dropped a catch in the field, everyone's body lump it down and swearing and all sorts. Um, whereas like if you progress to now, obviously people are annoyed, you're allowed to react, but it's all about then getting around you and making you feel comfortable and safe and, yep, let's just go again, do the best you can with the next ball and that positivity element, um, which there were certainly people that did have it. So back then, Kate Burns was someone who was unbelievable. So she's not a massive name at all, but she only started playing cricket when she was 25 and ended up playing six years for WA. And she still to this day is one of the people that made everything feel so comfortable. I still call her Mother Burns. She's like my cricket mum. Uh, and... She's someone that really taught me about leadership and the importance of making people, particularly when they're young or new, feel really comfortable and feel really safe and that it's okay to make mistakes, but you just got to learn and it's about the attitude that you bring. Um, whereas there were some personalities back then that were probably the opposite, uh, where it was very much about like performance and getting it right and, and that was kind of scary and sometimes it can produce like short-term results but over time, it just instills a whole bunch of fear, which is no good for performance at all. Yeah, it's one of those things, again, where it's just what's changed over time and what the ultimate goal with playing is now. So if you did play a bit for WA, is there anybody in particular who would be a name that's quite known, who was your favourite teammate that you've ever ever played with? 
Yeah, we were pretty lucky back then. So we had a few good internationals. The first one's probably Nicole Bolton, who's I've grown up with. She's almost been a bit of a mentor for me from when I was 16. We trained together. She taught me what it means to, to work really hard. Um, and then we had some really cool internationals. So Charlotte Edwards came in. We played with her for a year. Susie Bates for a couple of years. Um, a whole bunch of like, so back then, Kate Cross, Amy Jones, Natasha Farrant, they were all really early in their career and they were coming over for that overseas experience. And to see them now playing regularly for England is pretty cool because uh, at the start of their journey, they were all on the fringe. So they were in the academy or they'd just played a couple of games. Amy Jones was always under Sarah Taylor. And to see them come in, bring in really good energy work hard and get to where they are now too was pretty cool. That's so interesting to hear that those players weren't really the bigger names at the time. So playing with them, what did they bring to the team? And, and is there anything that they've taught or just something about them that you've you've learned from? Yeah, absolutely. So our coach back then, Steve Jenkins, he um, he had a rule that we only ever bring people into the squad if they satisfy two things. So firstly, they have to be a better cricketer than any cricketer that's available locally. So we can't just take a place for the sake of just because they're an international. Um, and the second thing is that they had to bring something really positive off the field. So they had to be good people. So if they didn't tick those two boxes, we didn't bring them in, which the second box of those is why we learned so much off these people. So obviously Charlotte Edwards is a superstar. We called her the queen. Sky Sports was following her all around. Um, it's quite amusing. And she she's a superstar, naturally. So she doesn't really need to... Um, show how good she is or anything like that but at the same time she never really had to go and go out of her way to help us but she did so no matter what she she came in and she's deeply competitive so she's another one I've had on my podcast and you can actually like hear how obsessively competitive she is so even though she came in she could have just floated about and whatnot one she wanted to win but two she really cared about helping other people and those two things aren't mutually exclusive. And that's probably the difference from some of the people we had early doors in WA. And that was like, you can be a good person and want to win. And that's what Charlotte Edwards brought along really well. And then um, Kate Cross and Amy Jones was really cool because they weren't actually huge superstars. So Susie Bates and Charlotte Edwards, we sat back and like almost put them on a on a platform and it's hard to sometimes actually relate to them all the time because we we idolize these people whereas Kate Cross and Amy Jones they were good like they were really good cricketers that were better than most of us but they're all like Amy's a year younger than me I think and Kate Cross is a year older than me and so we could really just relate to them as people but what they did teach us was the work ethic side of things. So they came over and they really worked hard and that's just obviously been instilled in them in the England Academy and bits and pieces like that. And at the same time, they love to have a good time with us. So again, it showed us that having a good time and working hard aren't mutually exclusive either. So you can do both of those things. And now they're playing in the World Cup on everyone's TVs. I think it's quite... um just shows like the the roots and where people play and where people get their experience and where people start from really and um, now you are quite open with talking about how you've been in and out of teams so can you talk to us a little bit about what happened with maybe the end of your WA journey yeah so basically I had been so obviously like really passionate about cricket and Big Bash came along uh in I can't remember what year, I think it was 2014 it came along and I'd always been kind of on the fringe. So I was always in the group of, say, 13 that would be travelling but I'd always be running the drinks. So I played 22 games of cricket in eight years and that's out of available, say, 60 to 90 games of cricket. So I've effectively played 15% of games that I could have but I was in and around it the whole time and I was four years older than the, the group of really good kids coming through but because they were really talented so we're talking Heather Graham, Piper Cleary, Chloe Paparo, these girls that have established really strong domestic careers now I'd just run the drinks but I'd sit and watch like each of them overtake me so rather than me thinking oh yeah I'm the next player in an older player retires what would happen is this younger player would just jump me and I started to really struggle with that and rather I, I tried to get better I did, but I, when I had the opportunity, I put so much pressure on myself to perform that I never really got that consistent performance, nor did I get consistent opportunity, but that's just the way 
police sport works. So it was really hard to build any momentum. Um, and then I missed out on the first big bash squad by like one spot, but they're like, yep, you can train on with us. And then second year, the exact same thing happened. Third year, the exact same thing happened again. So like you're constant. So I was with WA the whole time. You're training with them. You're in and around it, but you're not in the squad. And that really caught me. Like I struggled so much during big bash time. Like big bash time is the hardest because it was on TV. Everyone's talking about it, and you're just sitting there like so close yet so far. Um, and that's three years of your life. And the fourth year, the exact same thing happened. Do you think four years is a very long time? to be putting everything into I'd given up some full-time jobs I'd been I was working like a pretty tough job just because it fit around cricket um and I just kept almost what I perceived as failing to to make the squads um so but by the I got lucky in Big Bash 04 we had like four different injuries and then I finally got the call up and played a few games which was pretty cool um and then did did re- okay, played more as a leg spin bowler. And then in 50 over cricket, I opened the batting every game that year, ended up being one of the leading run scorers for WA. Um, so for the first time in eight years, I thought I'd be okay to get my contract renewed. Um, whereas every year prior, I was like, nah, I'm probably going to get dropped, I'm probably going to get dropped. Um, but bizarre in the way things happen. Again, it's elite sport in that WA did pretty badly that year as a team. We did terribly. I think we lost every game or close to it. And they just decided they wanted to make some changes. I happened to be one of the few people off contract, um, whereas a lot of people were signed on multi-year deals and ended up being the one to be let go. So it was pretty tough at the time because that's I dedicated my whole life to playing cricket and no, I'm not a big name. I never made it per se as a regular big big name player. Um, but for me, it was my life. Like I just loved cricket so much and all I wanted to do was play professionally. And yeah, so it ended up being one of the, the toughest periods of my life. I remember getting that call and I, I reckon I cried every day for about a month. Um, I was lucky when I did get the call, I was with my dad, so he was really good and supporting me. The girls were great. They all got around me. But as it normally is, once you get back that initial period, everyone looks after you. But as you get back into normal life, everyone else goes into pre-season and you're just like, all right, well, what do I do now? Um, I spent literally 13 years. Since I was 13, I'd been going to the WACA for pre-season in June. So now you're just like, okay, well, what now? So you just left at this emptiness. Um, but in hindsight, it is by far and away the best thing that's ever happened to me. I was playing with so much fear. I was playing, and, and the coach to her credit, Lisa Kiteley, at that time, we, we went for a coffee after, shortly after, and she just explained to me, she goes, look, you've got talent, you work hard. We've actually, here's some numbers, you work harder and do more work than anyone else in the entire squad. But there's just something missing when you're out there performing and I think you need a new environment and a change in environment to work out what that is. Um, and I didn't understand her at that time, but deep down I knew she was right. And basically at that point I thought I'd lost everything, but the irony was that I actually had lost myself many years prior. So I'd lost that little girl that used to play because she loved it. Even the teenage girl that used to like actively love like learning at the Michael Hussey Cricket Academy, learning about the game, like what different shots can I play? How can I be better here? How can I learn this combat? Like the actual fun of learning a sport, even though you fail and then you go again and like when you're 15, you get out. Yes, it's annoying, but you don't get depressed and wonder how it's going to affect your life, do you? You just go to your coach and work out how to get better. And I'd lost that, which is the essence of life in a sense. Um and I wouldn't, I don't think I ever would have realised that if I didn't get dropped. So when I did get dropped, it, yeah, I ended up, the first thing that probably changed everything was uh, Bolts, Nicole Bolton put me in touch with Noddy Holder. Have you guys heard of Noddy? No, um, he, no. He's a, he's a, we call him Yoda. So he's a mysterious man. There's nothing about him anywhere with the exception of the fact that almost every cricketer he's coached has played test cricket. Um, and he doesn't take any money for coaching. He doesn't put anything online. He doesn't advertise. He is a genius. So he, like Justin Langer, that is the only time you'll hear his name is saying Justin Langer's book 
or he's Nicole Bolton's coach. He's worked with Marcus Stoyan. Like the list is ridiculous of who he's actually coached. Um, but you don't hear about him. It's, it's incredible. So we call him Yoda. He's a mysterious man. Bolts put me in touch with him and he sat me down and effectively taught me everything I know now in my coaching and in my game. And the him combined with another guy called Viv Paver, uh, who I still work with now. So Noddy coached Viv, and Viv's now one of the, if not the leading batting coach in Perth. And it's all about completely changing the model of performance. So rather than teaching, okay, they say play cover drive, oh, you got out to spin, how can we be better at spin? Um, it's a body-mind-spirit triangle. Um, and basically body is like your physical, what are you training? Your, your mind is what are you thinking? But the spirit piece is that joy, that little girl, that that spirit within you that loves the game or loves the process? What is it that you actually personally love? What lights you up? What's that fire? And he explained to me that high performance programs are a little bit like a prison and they have to be. So this is not a criticism by any means on WA or Melbourne or anything. It's just they have to be like this because it's the only way they can operate. You walk in, he explained it, use a prison as goes. When you go to prison, you walk in, they take all your clothes and your belongings off you they make you wear a uniform and they say, this is when you're going to eat, this is where you're going to sleep, this is what you're going to do. So the analogy was when you go into high performance environment, the taking your clothes off is they take your individual individuality and your spirit away in a sense. So if you don't own that yourself, then it's really difficult because all of a sudden you're wearing their clothes, you have to do what they say, when they say, um, there's all this external noise that impacts that spirit and it's really easy to lose yourself in that. It's not impossible to to do that, but if you don't have the self-awareness in the first place of who you are and what you're really good at, it's really easy to get sucked in. And that's effectively what happened to me. So I got sucked into not the bad stuff. So it's I'm not saying all the S&C and the fitness tests and all that stuff is bad. You 100% need it. But that, all of a sudden that became more important than love of enjoyment of the game and you can do both again they're not mutually exclusive but I was doing them because it would make me look good as opposed to doing them because it would help me get better I don't know if that makes any sense but Noddy yeah so so Noddy introduced me to that that concept of sometimes you walk into environments and they're a little bit like prisons but you can still walk into prison and make the most of your situation you can also okay. walk in and keep your, because we're not actually in prison, you can keep your clothes on, you can keep your spirit and still fit into uh, another environment. And effectively that planted a seed. At the time when he's telling me this, I kind of got it, but I also somewhat was like, okay, yeah, well, I still want to go back there. Like I still want to play professionally. Um, and then over the the rest of the that year, it was just incredible. One thing led to another. I went over to Ireland to play club cricket, have a bit of fun. Like honestly, it's not that big there. It was six weeks, six out of six weeks. I was partying a lot. I was having a, having a good time, just letting your hair down for the first time ever, and in a long time, and just enjoying playing cricket, like enjoying. And it wasn't just partying and not really caring. I was in the gym, I was running, but I was enjoying that process because I could do what I wanted when I wanted. So I was still working hard, but I had the freedom, which you don't always get in a, in a team environment. Um, and then I also went to India with Cricket Mentoring, which is a um, coaching group, which are, are quite big online now. And we took a group to India and it was unbelievable. It was just a massive slap of perspective. Like you've got families of fives living literally on the street. You've got, we went to an orphanage and the funny thing at the orphanage is that these kids had nothing. They had no parents, they had no home, they had nothing at all. But they actually like were happier than we were. And you're like, hang on a minute, how does this work? So the whole time we're trying to find happiness through succeeding in cricket, but these people have nothing and they're happy. So, yeah, like effect. And then I went to Ringwood and played in Melbourne and learnt the power of your, your community and having a team around you that accept you for who you are. And the combination of those three things, I ended up tripling my batting average. 
Uh, I had the season of my life over in Melbourne, ended up getting recontracted over for Victoria and the Melbourne Stars, even though I went over to Melbourne with no intention of doing that. So I went to Melbourne because I thought I couldn't play for Victoria. So I was like, they're so strong. I'm just going to go. It's a better club comp. So at least I'll be playing a higher standard than Perth grade cricket. And I'm just going to enjoy my cricket. Like I'll never play for Vic. They're way too strong. They've got all the Aussie players. And funnily enough, when you kind of let go a little bit, it, it all comes together. I guess it would have been so tricky to something that was your whole life was based around to have that kind of just thrown out when you thought you'd been doing so well um, to then it be kind of like such a shock to to think you've done enough to keep it and then it just hasn't and then it all just went upside down but to hear that you managed to you know regroup and, and focus on what matters was is amazing to hear but so you said you went over to Melbourne with no intention of of playing for Melbourne. Um, so so when you did play for Victoria, what was your your mindset there? And and did you feel like you wanted to, or, or what was that like? That's that's also a really good question, and could be a whole another twenty minute answer. But um, right. <laughs> uh, so Melbourne was really interesting in that it was the middle of COVID. So I moved over in June. Everything. 2020 things are actually starting to open up in hindsight it sounds a bit stupid because we're only two months in but I was like cool that's fine and obviously the big lockdown hit in Victoria which was the worst one they've had I think and um but the best part of that was we had an exemption to train so there were no really there were no games on or anything like that but the Aussies weren't playing there was no international cricket so we got four months five months of training with Literally, Elise Perry, Meg Lanning, Soph Molyneux, Georgia Wareham, Taylor Vlamink, like Kim Garth came over. Like you literally got legends with you, which the SA play for Victoria, but in a normal season, they're just not around much at all. So we got to be in the weeds and no one else had anything else to do but be at training because we had the 5K limit of where you could go, but we were allowed to go to training. So obviously everyone wanted to just hang around at training all day. Um, so it was actually a really, really cool period where you, I like, I wouldn't have prior to that, I wouldn't even been able to go and talk to Meg Lanning or Elise Perry because they're just such big superstars, even though they're a similar age to me. Um, but like you see, they're just normal people going about what they do and they, they work incredibly hard. They have a good time at the same time. And, and that was a really cool experience. But then to answer your question, so I then got contracted with the Melbourne Stars, went through the whole Big Bash hub and didn't play a single game. So it's almost like I went back into what it was like in WA. So I didn't play a game, 14 games in the hub. The coach kept promising, 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 dragging you along and you end up not playing. Plus at that point we'd been on the road literally in a hotel room for two months by that point, three months even. Um, and it was actually really tough. And then Victoria came along and, again, because the Aussies were available, I didn't play. I wasn't even in the squads. Um, and our coach at that time was a little bit like, if you're playing, great, you got looked after really well. If you're not playing, it's just because we had such a big squad, it was too hard to actually manage that many people. Um, so it was a little bit on the outer again. Uh, but I did really enjoy playing for Ringwood at that time and kind of channeled everything into that. And then Victoria, because we had all our Aussies available, won everything and managed to actually get to the final. Um, but what was a really cool story is the Aussies then left for, I can't remember, some sort of overseas trip. I think and it was New Zealand. New Zealand, yeah. And we played against WA. So I made my Victoria debut back in WA at the Wacker, which was like a really cool full circle thing. But what was really interesting is that I actually went straight back into what I call old Barbie where I almost, you could say I panicked. I was really relaxed that week. I'd never hit the ball better in my life. Like I was just feeling so good. I had my family around. I was like, this is ridiculous. Who would have thought I'd be standing in the middle of the whacker again but playing for Victoria? I was like, this is so cool. One of my very best friends in Tess Flintoff presented my cap to me. Um, it was just such a cool thing. I had a few tears and my parents had a few tears and it was pretty emotional just because of the whole journey up until that point. Um, but, yeah, got out in the middle, played a couple of nice shots and then just all of a sudden I felt like I needed to 
give myself a chance was what a lot of people because I'm fairly aggressive naturally so a lot of people in the week leading were like just give yourself a chance like you don't need to go and whack them from ball one but in that I wasn't really myself and I wasn't clear on my game plan so I tried to play safe and that's just not me so I I ended up literally missing a straight one and getting bowled and then I was so so upset because I didn't think subconsciously I'd built it up so much so I, like, although I felt relaxed on surface level, I think I like internally I had built it up so much to be able to perform. And I was like, imagine scoring a hundred against WA, and it was just so like exciting. And I then failed and it ended so quickly. Um, but we had a game two days later, and I was like, you know what? If I'm going to get out, I'm going to get out being me, and screw it. So I went out, and I probably went too far the other way. So I actually got too aggressive. <laughs> And there were balls that are hit and I'd like try and hit them, but I'd miss it because I'm just trying to slog, absolutely slog them. And I was like, yes, I'm aggressive, but I'm not someone who slogs. I'm still playing good shots. So either way, I messed up both of those. And I think I ran myself out in, in that game. Um, then it came to the final because we had already qualified for the final. And yeah, I effectively just said, you know what, just going to relax. If this is my last game of cricket, it's my last game of cricket. And I just relaxed, actually hit a cracking shot. I got every bit of it and happened to a fielder took a really good catch at point in the final and I failed again. So three out of three failures and before you know it, you're on the phone two weeks later, the Sean Graff says we're going with youth and that's your contract done. So within the space of so six months of build-ups, nine months of build-up, training, having the best time to two weeks, it all happened so quickly and all of a sudden it's done. So the it's pretty brutal sometimes um but at the same time I think that's kind of the cool part so the, the first part it was like oh great like you performed really well and you got back to where you want to but at the end of the day it's it's more about the journey and it's more about the being rather than the doing so yes it hurts yes I want to play professional cricket of course you do but I think it was another life lesson like just slapping you in the face until you actually learn it and that it's it's not always about that end game or the destination of yeah, I've made it or the whole I've made it kind of thing. It's not always about that destination. It's actually about what are you doing in between. So what what's your – so I like the phrase, it's your decisions, not con- your conditions that determine your life story. So, yes, I'm in the conditions I'm in now, but my job is to do make really good decisions and do the very best I can right now and trust it will take me somewhere. That's the hardest part is to actually trust that. And that's forever something I'm working on that everyone's working on. But at the end of the day, it's all you really have. Whereas if, you, if you're like, no, nah, I'm definitely going to make it, well, you actually don't know that. And that can actually hold you back. So it's, it's now more, and this recent season is probably the best season I've had again where I've never batted like that in my life. And it came down to just complete surrender and acceptance of I, I don't have control. So I'm just going to do the best I can and see what happens. Yeah, right. I love that, and I, I've I've done that too. Yeah, and I need to. I've sorry, I've noticed I need to do that more, and I totally agree. Just surrender yourself, open, open yourself. Like you're gonna get out. You're gonna you're gonna bowl a wide. You're gonna you're gonna bowl a no ball. And that I'm just saying for most of that um that that took me a while to get, and now yeah I'm batting a lot better. I'm bowling a lot better. So it really is great. Yeah, and it's I, easy. I really, so, so it's easy to say that. Um, difficult to do that so Mm. especially when you love it so much or you are under pressure so so a lot of coaches will come and I actually they're saying the right thing but it actually really annoys me sometimes when they come in and say oh just let go just enjoy yourself have fun mate I was like I spend all my time training I've failed so this year it's it's actually pretty cool season now looking back but I went 22 innings without getting a score and now that's just ridiculous. I've never done that in my life. So the, my top score was 30, I think, in 22 innings, average 14 with the bat, um, where I've been averaging over 40. And I could not buy a run. Like I was getting out in every different way. I was batting badly in the nets as well. And the coach was like, just go out there and express yourself. Just have fun. I was like, I'm trying to have fun, but it's not much fun when you're failing every week. <laughs> but sometimes it actually, the best part was, is you get to a point of so much pain like so low to the point where you're like you know what that I actually can't get any worse like I genuinely cannot get any worse so what I did I was like well all right well what am I good at 
I'm good at these shots, okay? And so I played, we played, we played in the top team, Melbourne, and literally hadn't made a run. And it was like, you know what, I'm going to play every ball like I'm about to get out the next ball. So I was like, this is my last ball, I'm going to get out the next ball. And we just did that one ball at a time because it got to the point where I was so bad that I just couldn't get any worse. So, and next thing you know, you've made 100 against the top team and you're like, oh, and I've made 450 runs in the next five games. <laughs> and you're like, well, how did that happen? And Hello. sometimes awesome. <laughs> so sometimes you actually have to get to a low point. But another way mm-hmm. without getting to that low point is about perspective. So it's about like, well, actually it is just a game. No matter how much it means to you, at the end of the day, it is just a game of cricket. And working out who are you outside of cricket or whatever your, your thing is or whatever your sport is and working out like what is it that I – how am I valuable to my teammates today if I get a duck? You can – there's so many ways you can still be valuable. And that sort of stuff really helps you to actually let go and surrender as well. Yeah, 100%. That's a, that's a good way of thinking it too. Yeah, I love that. It's so interesting to hear because this is never the side that you hear about playing professional cricket, really. You never hear the struggles, really, because when they, you watch players on TV, the commentators talk about their amazing careers and how long they've been playing, and you never really hear the struggles and the side of it. So I think that's really interesting to hear your perspective on how tough it has been to really cement a spot or keep a spot, you know, because that's not something you hear, you hear about. So I think that's, yeah, that's really interesting. Now we will go afterwards onto what happened next, but first you did mention about the WBBL uh, bubble. So yeah. can you tell us a little bit what that experience was like because you'd just signed with the stars uh, and COVID hit. What was that whole experience like? Because everyone has different experiences we, on it. I believe we were mayor as well. <laughs> yeah that was a bit amusing the hub was the hub was interesting it was it was a lot of fun at points it was tough at points but it was the most bizarre thing like I don't think that will ever happen again where you've got literally the 100 something 150 best cricketers in Australia plus some of the best in the world all staying in one hotel um all there for the exact same purpose not really able to leave the hotel except going for a walk like it was just the most bizarre experience because um, normally you're on the road, you're travelling, you get to spend some time at home, then you travel again. Like it is a bit more relaxed, um, but it was at the same time really cool. So they, they did it really well. Cricket Australia were brilliant. So you had table tennis, you had a golf simulator. Um, there was like a couple of different eating areas. There's baristas on site every day. Um, there's a whole play area, which I'm sure you would have seen heaps in social media. But again, like social, as I think it's pretty accurate to what you said Lily in that you see all the fun stuff and all the games and like the the whole mayor thing and um but I do know I reckon you speak to 95% of cricketers that were in that hub actually probably found it more tough than fun (laughs) because you didn't have your normal things to rely on outside of the game so that distractions in terms of getting away from cricket all of a sudden your whole life is cricket because you don't get to go home you don't really get to go and play golf or whatever people do to get away from the game. Um, so it was a bit of a – and I suppose I probably found it a bit more tough because I wasn't playing either. And because of the COVID restrictions, you didn't have much opportunity to train. Or like in normal, if you're not selected in the squad, you can go and play grade cricket, so you're still playing. Um, so you're literally just sitting around for – and we had to quarantine. The Victorians had to quarantine for a month before joining the hub. So we had a month of quarantine plus – being in a hotel for eight weeks. Um, about the same time, I learned so much and we got to hang out with like, our stars team was unbelievable. We had such a cool bunch of people like to, to spend so much time with someone like Mignon Dupria, who's one of the best people I've ever met. Um, she's really, really cool and learn off her, the way she goes about her business. We had Catherine Brunt, Nat Siver, Meg. It was just really cool to have these, one, big names, but two, we had some really good kids like Tess Flintoff, Nick Valtum, um, that were really talented, new on the scene, but just lots of fun to be around. Uh, So that was a lot of fun. Like you actually just got, it's like you're traveling with your best friends and you're living with them basically. So you have 15 people living together effectively. So there were good and bad sides of it. If if it came again, I probably, I'd I'd rather normal than a hub, obviously, Um, but it was still a pretty cool experience. Yeah, can you, can you it, talk through the every, mayor bit? 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think that, that was just a bit of fun for social media. So um, I'm one of the more quiet people in the team, if you like, and we thought because it was a public vote, um, Elise Fellani, who is definitely not a quiet person, um, thought it would be really funny because no one, quite honestly, no one actually wanted to do it. And we thought it would be a funny experiment to see because I'm of Indian origin and there's so many Indian fans if – I'd actually not be like because I'm not a superstar, not a big name. If people would actually vote for me, and they ended up, so I came home. We came home from training one day, and I was just in the lift up to my room, and I get a message from Elise saying, "Can you come down to the lobby?" So I was like, "Yeah, sure." Came down to the lobby. There's her and Holly Furling with cameras, videos, and they wanted to do this whole promo video, which then they posted to their social medias of. And Big Bash, Women's Big Bash reposted it. So you're talking tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of viewers. And that video actually went completely viral. Um, and I ended up winning the mayor, which was quite amusing because we didn't think I'd go close. So I was like, yes, yeah, a joke, whatever, let's do it. Um, and then all of a sudden I had this unwanted attention on me, but it was all a bit of fun in the end. Yeah. No, that's good. You it needed was, that. It was that hilarious, the video, yeah. I've got to say. <laughs> very amusing very amusing um <laughs> but you said that it's it was tricky for you not getting a game while being confined to this one space and I know a lot of the younger players um was obviously we've spoken to Ella Hayward and and she was fine with the whole bubble experience because it wasn't something that it, it was her first experience of being in the WBBL so to kind of have that as your first experience but for you to that was something completely new for the maybe a, a bit more senior players. Uh, that must have been yeah. tricky. Yeah, it was new for everyone and it's really interesting. So a lot of the younger girls found it a lot of fun because this was like if, if you're looking at it, like how good is this? You're around the best cricketers in the world. You're with your mates. There's table tennis. There's all these games we can play. We get fed for free. Um, you're literally playing in the Big Bash. Like it, it is, there's a lot of fun stuff there and I think that's something some of us older players can actually learn from that in that they just absorbed into, it comes back to what I said earlier, like it's your decisions, not your conditions. So the younger kids absorbed into that, like how good is this? Let's just enjoy it for what it is. Whereas a lot of the older players were like, oh, this is shit, like I can't see my family, I can't go and do it, like I can't go, and like looking at all the stuff you can't do. Whereas a really cool lesson is someone like Ella and you're like, hang on, it's the exact same, we're in the exact same situation here. But one person's really enjoyed it and the other one hasn't. So it's like, well... It's actually, again, it's the decisions that you're making and the perspective that you take on things that changes your experience of it. Yeah, we, we did say it did look quite like a just a WBBL hotel, it, like a yeah. hotel that you could go and stay at. And I was it like, was. Yeah. <laughs> I would not mind They actually, <laughs> they redid, you probably would have seen it on some social media, like all the stairs, the yeah. pillars, everything was like painted in team colours and it was literally like a WBBL hotel. It was yeah, bizarre. It, yeah. I, mean, look, it, I, I can yeah. I can completely understand the whole tricky side of not being able to see your family, but it like from a viewer perspective, it did look like quite a bit of fun. And and yeah. it, it and to have that kind of that mayor stuff as a bit of a light-hearted way to kind of take in the experience would have been, I guess, just a bit of bit of fun as well, because that's not something you can you can say. Nah. Not a lot of people can say they're proudly the the village mayor can <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. So, so after that, what happened then? So after that WBBL season, where did you go from there? Um, so that's like following that was playing for Victoria, which we've spoken about already. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, lost lost my contracts with the Stars in Victoria last year. Um, so decided to come back to Perth for a few weeks. Was meant to go over to Ireland. Um, and play and coach over there. But again, COVID was still hanging around pretty strong and I needed a special visa, which didn't come in time. But uh, another silver lining is I ended up getting six months in Perth with my family. So that's that was really awesome. And again, being, it was almost similar, off contract again, different experience this time, had way more perspective. Didn't, it sounds bad saying it didn't mean as much, but playing that one year for Victoria wasn't like my whole eight years or 13 years dedicated to WA. So it didn't sting as much. Um, but it's really cool. I like, spent time with my family. Uh, I started playing hockey again. So played played a full season of hockey, which is first time in 10 years pretty much. It's a lot of fun. Um, and then I went back to Ringwood again last year and played 
uh, for Ringwood in Victoria and um, just run my business on the side, which is effectively a lot of coaching and podcasting similar to the themes of what we've spoken about. And as I mentioned, I've just found like a lot of coaches are still coaching technique, 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 whereas that's not what performance is. If It doesn't matter what level you're playing at. You don't need to be an elite athlete to have to focus on your mental game or on who you are. And it's not even just like what mental and physical, it's, it's the whole package. So um, trying to been working pretty hard over the last few months to put together some programs that are more holistic um, and, and, and not just focused at elite cricketers all the time. I do have a few that are, are playing in the big bash and whatnot that we do a lot more, not so much technical stuff, but it's more so managing the noise and managing expectation that that's the biggest part at that level. Is, is dealing with the noise and sometimes even though again you could say I never really fully succeeded the fact that I was in and out all the time I think makes me a little bit more relatable so I've found that a lot of cricketers actually kind of like that whereas if someone who's been there the whole time doesn't always know what it's like to to be dropped to be playing and then have all the expectation on yourself and all those sorts of things so um and then yeah so that's the elite side of things but then at club cricket just going out to cricket clubs there's a lot of local cricketers that still love working on this stuff and this time of year is really cool so like it's the end of the season most people are done with finals but April May June is a really good time to sit down and and do a lot of that work and and work out like what's your story so far why do you play what are your personal strengths your values um why do you play this game what is it that you want and working out all those things before you actually go ahead because everyone asks what, what do you want? So what are your goals? And then we ask how to get it. But we never start with the first question. And, and whether you get it or not defines who you are. So whether you're successful or not, whereas we need to actually reverse that. So you need to define who you are first. What are your strengths? What are your values? And then ask, well, okay, now we know you're a, you're a kind brother, you're a competitive cricketer, you're a diligent student or a procrastinating student if you're like me and um and then from there you decide all right well what do you want from your cricket what do you want from you can like a lot of people that I've been working with it's also out of cricket what do you want from your job your career your your family life and the whole life wheel if you like and then helping people to actually go after that can you please come down to Adelaide coach <laughs> yeah. I actually am thinking was... um, I might pop in next season so um and tee up some stuff over the weekend so we'll, I'll, I'll be there you know I'll be yeah. there. <laughs> easy um so can you tell us a little bit about your podcast because uh where when did this start was it ever something that you you were thinking of while playing cricket or did it come afterwards can you talk to us a little bit about that um, yes, it came out of COVID lockdown, number one, to be honest. So, well, my first, so when I was missing out in all those big bash squads in, for the Perth Scorchers, I discovered podcasts and became mildly, completely obsessed with them. So uh, the work I was doing was a lot of driving. So I'd literally spend three, four hours driving a day and I'd just churn through podcasts. Um, and they I quite honestly completely changed my life. So listening to podcasts, having access to people that, thought on a different level that was thinking like the conversation we're having today that it wasn't just about the real surface level stuff um, and that completely changed my life and my perspective so bolts again Nicole Bolton had always said that I needed to start one got to lockdown had absolutely nothing to do um, and decided to to go ahead and do that so um, it started with so Nicole Bolton was the first guest and she's had a lot of deep mental health struggles and probably still does to an extent and has been really open and vulnerable with it. So um, I haven't actually listened back to that first one, but I'm a bit scared too because I don't reckon it was any good. <laughs> so you got to start somewhere. Um, but she has an amazing story to tell. And from there, it's just like, I was like, seeing stupid. I've got access to such cool people. Um, it's, it's stupid not to do it almost. Um, and have these conversations and it is a grind it is tough as as I'm sure you guys know there's a there's a lot of work that goes behind it but the opportunities it presents on the other side and it's kind of fun as well is pretty cool yeah and and you get to hear everyone's stories as well and everyone's story is different so we've obviously we've spoken to people all over the world now um male and female so it's it's and yours specifically is something we've we've never we haven't heard yet so obviously Kate Cross has her own podcast but hers is completely different to the sort of stuff that you talk about so um so yeah yours is the inside edge and you talk about a lot of uh 
like professionalism and high performance. Has that brought anything to your cricket game doing this podcast? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a very similar topics to what I've I've talked about today. Um, but it's sometimes you one you learn a lot from others, but two you have to be really assured in what your philosophies are as well. So it's forced me to think about that from another's perspective where it's like, well, actually, what do I think about this? And what what's interesting about someone else's journey to me? So everyone has a different journey, but how do I, how can I ask questions in such a way that we actually get into the weeds? So it's not the surface level and all the positive, only the positive stuff that they'd say in 27 different podcasts. It's how can we get into the actual journey? Because that's what's valuable for everyone else and by doing that I've learned so much off other people too and and it makes you a little bit more sure that everyone struggles so it's okay so it's it's actually okay to go the ups and downs are no like you're literally talking to some of the best cricketers of all time and they talk about how much they've failed and you're like hang on a minute I can't expect myself to succeed all the time yeah it's amazing and I I think we really we we need more people like you you know who are there who are talking about their their struggles in the sport and 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 taking the positives from the negatives really and 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 improving it there but um should we just jump into our our fun ones now get we'll get into our this or that questions so we like to finish it off on a on a high note uh by just that so we'll jump into them right now so 2020 or test cricket Oof, 2020. 2020. Uh, tea or coffee? Tea. Tea. That's the first one. Yeah, yeah, that's the first answer of that. I've only, I would have said coffee. I've just gone off coffee, so. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, batting or bowling? Batting. Batting. Uh, horror or comedy? As in movies? Comedy. 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 <laughs> TV shows or movies? TV shows. TV shows. Uh, Perth or Melbourne? Perth. Yeah. Perth. Question. Good question. <laughs> um, pineapple on a pizza or not? Definitely on. I don't understand yeah. the problem. Yeah, I don't understand it. I like I, it on a pizza. I really don't. Like, I'm indifferent. I just don't understand yeah. the, the problem. Yeah. Um, morning or night? Morning. Morning. Uh, beach cricket or backyard cricket? Oof. Mm. Beach, I reckon. Just. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the hardest questions I've ever been asked, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, lollies or chocolate? Chocolate, definitely. Chocolate. Yeah. And now, would you rather hit a six to win a game or take a hat trick in a game? Hit a six. Hit a six to win a game. That's yeah. about it. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. Pass, well done. List. Yeah, amazing. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, so that's all the questions we have, but... It's been amazing to chat to you. It really has. And you've brought such a different insight that we've never really heard before. So I think it's brilliant that you, you've been you've been so open with talking about your your ups and downs of, of the sport. So thank you very much for talking to us. No worries. Thanks for having me, guys. It's good to, good to see what you're doing and looking forward to some more episodes. That was a deep one, wasn't it? That was a. Uh, it got deep. It yeah, got deep. <laughs> she, um, it, but it was brilliant. It was so amazing to hear her real cricket story because some people just kind of touch surface level, like she actually mentioned, that they just talk about, you know, all the positives and all the happy sides. But to hear the real low lows was really important. And I think it's it could be a real changing point for some people to hear that they're not the only ones who have been dropped and being taken over by other players. And yeah, it was just, it was so interesting to hear her real cricket story. Yeah, it was just fantastic. It got really deep, as I said, and it made me think as a cricketer as well, like made me think of some philosophies and just how you go about your cricket. So yeah. it was just yeah. really good. It was a great interview to do. It was. And, and like you said there, I, I think she had, she had a lot of things to say that really made you think. Mm. Um, so we actually really hope that some of the stuff that Barbie said um, was quite eye-opening and that... You know, it helps you to understand yourself better as a player, but not just as a player, but as a person as well. She got quite caught up in in playing rather than actually Mm. being herself. So I think that was, yeah, again, really, really important. And I'm so grateful that she opened up to us about the story because it can be such a hard thing to talk about, like we said at the start. So 
yeah, I'm feeling very, very grateful that she was willing to take the time to talk to us about the, the, the ups and downs of her cricket career. Yeah, like you said, hopefully that helps some people who are struggling yes. with their cricket and just, yeah, never give up. Yeah. So that was our interview with Barbie Devchand. Next week, we are joined by the first coach we've had, which is exciting, very exciting. So we very exciting. are joined by Luke Williams, who is SA Scorpions and Extraordinaire. Yeah, and WBBL Adelaide Strikers coach. So yeah, super exciting to talk to Luke about all things coaching and what it's like to, to coach a, a women's team. So that will be next week. So you can follow us on social media. Our Instagram and Twitter is how's that TCP, or you can send us an email at how's that the cricket podcast at gmail.com. But that's all from me this week. And that's all from me, guys. How's that?